How socially aware do you really think you are? Have you ever studied your own emotional intelligence? Nowadays, the way we represent ourselves and the brands we work for can be so much more complicated than in days gone by. The acceleration of social media and the proliferation of platforms has meant that we, as marketers, need to be playing by a whole new set of rules for engagement. According to Entrepreneur, there are 10 laws for social media marketing. They are listening, focus, quality, patience, compounding, influencer, value, acknowledgement, accessibility and reciprocacy. That's quite a list and boy, they make some pretty good points. Indeed, lists of what to do versus what not to do on social media are seemingly endless from when's the best time to post through to the best types of content and everything in between. How we manage social to create consistently great engagement as well as to continue to be ever so popular can often be a challenge few of us can overcome. We know that content can build an audience whilst great content can attract the right people to your business, your brand. So how do we make sure that we're putting out the right stuff to pull in the best crowd? Well, over the next 20 minutes, we're going to learn how to adapt our social media strategy to different platforms and audiences and go with the flow when it comes to changes over time. So listen in, take note, and let's roll. for the show. It's all brought to you by Newsmoto, the world's leading content marketing newsroom with a global studio comprising a network of 25,000 journalists, storytellers and other freelance content creators. If you want to learn more about anything you hear on today's episode, drop the team a line at info at newsmoto.com. Today is a highly respected social media marketing specialist with over 12 years worth of marketing experience and she specializes in strategy, training and workshops. She's worked with some of the best in the business and now heads up social at MNC Saatchi right here in Australia where she puts her knowledge base on social media, digital communication and content strategy and planning into action every day. Her name's Mandy Bateson and she joins me now.
Mandy, thanks for joining me on Brand Storytelling. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Look, it's such an interesting world, social media, isn't it? And what it means to us in 2017, it's so different to what it was even 10 years ago. And before that, well, social media wasn't even a thing. How's it been for you on this wild ride? Oh, it's been interesting. I mean, um, I'm certainly one of those people who, when they were at school or uni, could never have imagined that this would be my world. Um, but it's also been interesting for me over the, the past, you know, sort of eight or so years as being a, a leader of um, an agency department for uh, social and what that means for not only what we're doing for our brands and how they're you know, telling their stories for social, but what that means for us as a social offering as well. And like you said, growing up, it must have been worlds away from where you were in beautiful uh, Moreton Bay, home of the Moreton Bay yes. bug. Oh, how yes. good is a Moreton Bay bug? <laughs> <laughs> um, that must have been quite a leap for you, you know, such a, a beautiful part of the world and then getting into the sophistication of social media in a career path. For you personally, do you find it overwhelming just how much social media there is having come from such a beautiful place as Moreton Bay? Uh, I absolutely have to take at least two times per year I have a good sort of five to seven days of digital detox and if I can get to somewhere back in Queensland to do that and turn off my phone and just not look at things for a while, it's actually disturbing how much of a, um, a habit it is to open your phone and go into an app um, that you have to train yourself out of for the first couple of days to then just take a step back and feel like, okay, everything's a little bit overwhelming and we're so connected and it's, it's really important to make sure that you disconnect every so often so that you can yeah refresh yourself but as a brand this is a pretty good addiction for the masses to have isn't it because it's just such a powerful way of reaching an audience but how we reach that audience has changed hasn't it absolutely um i mean the way it was all set up uh, when we were first looking at using social, it wasn't even really built for brands. It was built for that that human interaction. And, and before ads on social existed, it used to be just kind of about hacking how people would use, you know, events or groups or the way that they would post to each other or profiles to be able to insert yourself into what was becoming a, a very uh, common personal interaction to try and put a brand into that. Whereas now I think there are about 185 different ads that you could have on social to be able to try and do the same thing. When you first started working in social and you've had a, a lusty career working through some pretty big agencies, it, it must have been um, an exciting area to be in just because of the fact that, and it still is obviously still um, evolving so quickly, but there was so much raw authenticity to what could be done with social. Could you um, describe how that's evolved and where, where things you see are at now? Uh, well, I think the opportunity we initially had was when people were wanting to hear from us. You know, we had people opt in to us much the same as they would for an email newsletter. Um, so you knew you were talking to people who, who wanted to hear from you and had some kind of interest that they'd indicated. And in those glory days of organic reach where you're able to sort of speak to people on a regular basis and, and, you know, even three to five times per week, it would be quite easy to be able to have that conversation. And, you know, you'd have to sit down and come up with a content plan that really talked for 365 days of the year and you'd pull out pillars and themes and topics and you'd tell a sort of story over these weeks and, and, and uh, months. Um, and then it started, I think, getting to the stage of, well, first of all, it being clutter because everybody else also decided that they wanted to speak to their audiences or your audience just as much. 
Um, and then also I think we, we started to run out of things to say and those, those sort of posts became a lot more filler um, as we, we sort of reached for a way to be able to fill all those content plans and conversation calendars. Um, so then, you know, we, we started to have to sort of think about what, what could we create that was more meaningful. And there was a wonderful heyday, I think, back in around 2013, 2014, where branded content became um, really sort of a, a strong way of being able to tell your story. And quite a few big brands started using that instead of a standard ad. And, you know, we saw things like Dove Real Beauty sketches or the Volvo Trucks content or um, even Patagonia made a 27-minute film that, you know, people, people watched because it was interesting and, and they'd really tapped into an amazing um, cultural dynamic to create that content. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of started out in this, this really interesting way of, of not really being anything about advertising and being very strongly uh, rooted in an ongoing conversation with people and then telling the stories in beautiful ways that people wanted to hear. And nowadays, how do we create content for social media that will still encourage people to lean in to the conversation when there's so much noise out there? I think the first thing that I would love to tell all of my clients and, and people that I work with is that we have to not give up on the idea of creating lean-in content. Um, I mean, I, I worked for a media agency for, for the six years previous to, to this particular role, um, and I very much thought about media-first social thinking in that we, we need to understand where the content is going to live, make sure the content is fit for that purpose, um, know you know how people behave within that in that media so that we can create something that will really cut through. But now I think that started to, to strangle why we are uh, sharing content. And now because we know that it's very difficult to earn attention past those three seconds you get as somebody is scrolling, you know, their thumb past you on Twitter or on Facebook or, um, you know, on Instagram, uh, we're starting to instead of think about grabbing somebody's attention for the amount of time it takes to tell a really compelling story, we're just putting our, our hook, our brand and our message in three seconds and hoping that that will, you know, get us our brand uplift or our brand re or our ad recall. Um, and we're, we're kind of, I guess, giving up a little bit. And, you know, the, the, the attention economy has had its effect on us because we're starting to trade in, in increments of attention, whether that be three, six, 10 or 15 seconds, instead of taking that mission to earn it through something that we know that the audience is going to be interested in because we've done our research into what they care about, why our brand is relevant to them and what we can offer them that, that's going to be something that stops them as they flick through. Do you think that's just because because we're not putting the right content in the right places. Perhaps that there is a, a place for that kind of content, the long-form editorial style. Um, you mentioned longer videos and material that really does um, draw out the attention spans of the audience, but maybe it doesn't need to be on social media. Absolutely, and, and maybe we don't need to be on social as much as we are. And I hate to say that given obviously it's <laughs> it's my livelihood and, and I want our clients to, to do great social not necessarily everything social and so I think it's time for us to start to question if we're just having to cut everything down so that it's a, a three second ad just so that we might get somebody's attention um, you know on Twitter for a second um, are we using it effectively is there another channel that can actually do that better and I just I think that what where it really hurts me is that I feel like it doesn't use the strengths of social in um, you know, the, the different platforms all have their different strengths and, and how you're able to use it. 
Um, and when you start to, you know, sort of suffocate that just because of a media placement and, and, and you just don't get to have that richness that you get from the opportunity to have advocacy or, you know, word of mouth and that sort of positive sentiment because people love your brand and have their opportunity to tell their friends about it through interacting with your content um, or the fantastic targeting opportunities that, that you have to be able to reach people who you know are really passionate about something and tell them why your brand is the perfect fit for them. Um, you know, I think once you start going for mass awareness of reaching 14 million Australians with a three-second ad, um, you lose the beauty of where the social opportunity lied in the first place. So what's a basic strategy when it comes to social? Um, if you're looking at delivering a message or a story to an audience and we're aware of the nature of everyone being time poor, how do we get that cut through without necessarily, to your point, losing the value of the story? Is there? Can we take the conversation off social and drive it to a blog or is there ways that we can try and build engagement that's more meaningful I think the opportunities are endless, which is why, you know, no strategy is the same. It's really um, starting, I think, by understanding your audience in the first place. And um, we have so many opportunities from that with social because we can use the information that they might give the likes of uh, Facebook or Twitter, you know, through their profile information or their behaviours and what they click on or what they seem to be interested in, uh, what they talk about on social as well. We can eavesdrop better than, than anyone and, and sort of find out what they what they do sort of say verbatim and, and how we might be able to use that. Um, so all of that information is there. And if you're not starting there when you're building your strategy to be able to take as much as you know about your audience as possible and then form a strategy that's going to suit that, whether it be this is the channel that's best to reach them if I want to have an upper funnel conversation versus a lower funnel conversation or, you know, I need to make sure that before they'll click on this website, that they hear their friends and family talking about why this product really works for them. So therefore, I need to be able to put these steps into place. Um, so it's it's really kind of understanding what you know about the audience, what you know about their journey to deciding what they're going to do about your product, whether they're going to, um, you know, just need to be aware of it, if they need to consider it, if they want to buy it or if they want to be an advocate for you. Um, and then sort of being very realistic about how your social channels can help you achieve that rather than a, a one-size-fits-all. We work with a lot of clients in the B2B space at Newsmoto, and I, you, I know you do too there at MNC Saatchi. Um, how do you drive engagement in such a traditionally difficult area when it comes to social media? It's not your typical B2C in a relationship, and the conversations can be very different, but you can still have a tone um, and have a, a character for the brand on across your social channels. Um, how do you try and work with your clients to, to achieve this? Uh, I think that's really important because something that I see happening at the moment is um, brands, um, I guess, borrowing the voice from, you know, memes or, you know, cultural references and, and almost kind of hijacking cultural moments and trying to insert themselves in that way. And it, it can be a bit frustrating because it might get them some short-term popularity and some engagement. I don't know what it's really doing for their brand building. I don't know if it's saying much about them as a brand and, and what they want to be building relationship with their clients, just with their customers, just by um, aligning themselves with the funniest joke of the day, which, which maybe doesn't really have any traction after the next week. 
Um, so for, you know, our clients, we want to really discuss what the purpose is, what we, you know, we, we don't want to have any illusions about people wanting to be our friend on social, you know, nobody really kind of cares that much about our brands that they are just itching to hear what they've got to say. Um, but you know, are they, are they somebody of authority? Are they somebody who is, you know, educating them on a topic that they might not know too much about? Is that somebody who's making them comfortable, um, with the the decisions they're making within a category? Um, and how do we sort of frame that so that they've got, they've earned a position and it's something that the, the audience expects from them mm. uh, rather than just necessarily uh, going to the, the, the popular engagement way of being their best mate for a little while until people kind of get sick of you for going, you're not funny anymore or you cross the line or hang on a second, I don't really want to hear a joke from, you know, my bank. I want to hear, you know, something with a little bit more authority because, um, yeah, so I think I think it's just a matter of being able to to really be true to your brand guidelines and certainly personalize that in a way that's social. But I would certainly be steering away from the idea of just jumping on every uh, you know meme and and little joke reference in social just to be able to get yourself a couple more likes. Yeah, and I guess newsjacking is something that we work on regularly, where we try and tap into what's currently you know the water cooler conversation of the day that our mm-hmm. our clients can create content and be part of that conversation but it's so to your point so important to do it only when and where it's relevant absolutely <laughs> um, because it, you, you stand out and it doesn't look great when you're trying to jump in on a conversation that really you don't you, you don't have a position at the table <laughs> a seat at the table and I, think, I think you know contextual content is amazing and when you can say you know i know that i'm going to be able to find people who care about you know the gender pay gap and feminism and equality and when they're talking about these conversations i'll make sure that they see that this is what we're doing for diversity you know that that is relevant you know just kind of jumping on you know trump's latest thing or a a meme you know that's getting passed around and and trying to sort of pinpoint yourself in there that there's just to me i don't feel that's what cultural relevance is and i think yeah really understanding what your audience cares about and making sure that you're contextually aligning yourself with them is is a very strong proposition absolutely um we've talked about i guess the difficulties in getting cut through and some of the challenges around creating a narrative and stories that have meaning some of the trends that we've seen in the last couple of years have involved the world of influencers and them distributing content for brands where do you see this heading it's a very interesting space and i think where it heads will depend on uh the companies who are who are starting to manage it for us um the checks and balances that are put in place by people like me and my team and and our clients um and also the um i guess the bullshit factor of of the audience and all of these three things need to to do their bit to be able to keep them in check. Um, There is absolutely nothing more uh, rewarding than having somebody who um, is an expert, you know, on a particular area or um, has got a really strong following and positively talks about something that they've had an experience with um, that's extremely influential. Um, And, uh, you know, whether the person actually knows that person or not it it, it, we've seen the research that it increases results considerably um but when people see that that's an opportunity for paid activity so they start going and buying instagram followers so that they can register to be on a influencer engagement platform that'll get them two thousand dollars for a a post on instagram or you know brands start sort of you know just thinking oh they've got five hundred thousand followers they must be able to sell anything 
that's where it's going to fall down. And I always talk about the difference between influence and popularity and you really need to do your research on if somebody uh, can help somebody decide whether or not there's a great product involved and whether they have influence over somebody trying that or they're, they're just really popular and have got a whole bunch of people following them with uh you know, lots of likes that might be coming from bots, might be coming from people in the Ukraine who just kind of like the look of it and will never buy your products because they're not Australian or in the target exactly. market. It's all about putting out the right message to reach the right audience through the right people or influencers. Absolutely. Um, and it just takes a bit of effort, unfortunately. I think that's what we keep shying away from. Yeah, and that's what we're finding that as well. I mean, we've been uh, engaging quote-unquote influencers across our network of freelancers for years and um you know bloggers as well to help create content that um, our brands can sponsor and distribute through our blogger network um but it's it is something that in my experience it can only be done really well if it's properly managed and um there's there's quite a degree of um, facilitation and curation required in my opinion to do it really well um Absolutely. and I, I just wonder about um the automation of quote-unquote influencer you know it seems to be a juxtaposition of terms when somebody's supposed to be a, a leader of a, a group of people and then they're just selling a post through an automated platform mm -hmm. um Absolutely. i just can't see what the authenticity of that really is and i think people are getting pretty sick of seeing the same you know usually girls i'm not you know to throw anyone in a basket here but you know just constantly posting um stuff that they're selling themselves out for um you know, it's right from the today show hosts down like i was just yeah like yesterday just looking at an event in sydney and seeing so many you know journalists or you know ex-journalists who are now working in television now um you know s selling themselves as um as brand ambassadors <laughs> um, exactly. and hashtagging the latest products that they're flogging online or on social media but good luck to them exactly exactly <laughs> i think i'm just angry that i didn't think of it first but you know um i don't know if i have all of the the filters and the flat lays in the world to be able to make me an influencer but i'll try it for my dog i think well can... apparently there's some pretty big cat influencers out there so absolutely my cat's pretty popular um in our house there you go there you go <laughs> so so where's it going to head now? Where, where does the future hold for, for social? Do you think it's, we've got so many channels that we all now try and play across as brands and as consumers. Do you think that there'll be some kind of convergence or that things have to reach a point where we just can't physically keep across all the different channels? I think so. And I think we're already seeing that in our, um, you know, our budgeting and our channel plans from clients because uh, they know that it's very difficult to be able to uh, not only create because social is might be considered one channel on some plans but really it means five different types of content if you're going to post on five different types of channel um, which means it's then quite expensive um, and not always for the same return of investment if some of those other platforms aren't getting uh, the the visibility and engagement that they used to um, this unfortunately I think starts to play into the hands of the power struggle that the rest of the media industry loves talking about at the moment with you know facebook and google kind of being that very uh dominant force um 
because they'll continue to get the, the media dollars and they'll be able to continue to revise their, their products and, and provide better services to people. Um, and so therefore people will then put more money into it and it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle. I think if anything, what you know, we just really want to make sure that people always do is, is you know, think about their social marketing with purpose you know, rather than just doing it for the sake of it. Um, you know, doing it so that it's geared for results and the right results and not just, you know, efficiency or um, false engagement. You know, you, you kind of want people who, are, you know, you, you want brand building, you want real engagement in what you're saying with your brand and that advocacy and people sharing it on and, and having an impact with, you, you know, your, your brand uplift and, and sales and conversions. Um, and then creativity. And I, I sort of see, I, I worry about the, the death of creativity with social if we if we just start reverting to ads instead of branded content and social campaigns and social experiences um, because it's very much a, a race to the bottom for attention there. Well, on that note, <laughs> the bright <laughs> the future, future is <laughs> of content marketing and social media storytelling as we know it in the future will certainly be... Well, a whole nother world, and who knows how we'll be telling those stories and where they'll be discovered. Again, Mandy, thanks so much for joining us on Brand Storytelling. And just for our Thank listeners, you. where can they find you online? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter under Digital Mans, um, or if you want to follow my dog on Instagram, you can do that as well. Um, bet, you know, or LinkedIn, uh, Mandy Bates, and I'm more than happy to, to connect with anyone. And if anyone wants to hear me rattle on for, for hours and hours about this, I'm more than happy to because it's certainly something that I'm quite passionate about. Well, it's been really insightful speaking with you today, Mandy. I've really appreciated your time. We'll speak soon and for all our listeners, we'll join you next week on Brand Storytelling. This has been the Brand Storytelling Podcast brought to you by Newsmodo. For more information on anything you've heard on today's episode, visit the show notes at newsmodo.com. Thanks for listening.